Hey, everybody, it's Matt. Our Growing Greater podcast showcases inspiring stories of innovators, business successes, and transformational projects, and it's all made possible thanks to the team at The Precisionists. The Precisionists is a B Corporation. They're headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware, and they create jobs for individuals across a broad range of disabilities. With deep regional roots and a vision for national growth, The Precisionists is focused on creating 10,000 jobs for people with disabilities by the year 2025. By providing industry best practices for delivering administrative and technology services performed through teams, teams that include individuals with disabilities, The Precisionists is uniquely qualified to lead major organizations in their journey to complete their project goals and to do it by creating a more diverse and inclusive workplace that welcomes and accommodates individuals with disabilities. Their name says it all. They do everything with precision. Learn more at theprecisionists.com and join me in thanking the Precisionists for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11 county community of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. There are many ingredients that come together to make up the identity of a city and a region the sports teams, certain landmarks, the character of the people, the accent that sometimes makes it seem like a community may have a language all their own. These attributes become symbols that locals and visitors alike come to associate almost exclusively with a city or region. And one of the most powerful symbols for any region, it's their food. Deep dish in Chicago, clam chowder in New England, barbecue in Texas, and in greater Philadelphia, well, we're known for many famous delicacies, but few are as special and notable as the Philadelphia soft pretzel. While the founding of the city of Philadelphia dates back to 1682, the history of the pretzel goes as far back as 610 AD, when Italian monks created this tasty treat as a way to encourage pupils to study harder. The first American pretzel, well, that was reportedly baked in 1861 in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, by Pennsylvania Dutch settlers. The recipe, it's not changed much since then. Joining us on this episode of Growing Greater is one of the leaders at the center of the American pretzel-making capital, Marty Farrell, president of Philly Pretzel Factory. Marty shares with us how he and the team at Philly Pretzel Factory are delivering success in greater Philadelphia and around the country, bringing a little taste of Philadelphia to communities across the U.S. At its core, Philly Pretzel Factory, it's about people, the women and men who are embracing their role, not just as pretzel makers, but as entrepreneurs. Here, Marty describes the famous Philly Pretzel. Delicious. We start there. It's really a unique treat. In Philadelphia, obviously, people know what a soft pretzel is. As we grow in new markets, that's a question we get all the time. They compare us to the mall-style pretzels, which is more of a a dessert product, right? Our product is much more hearty. The dough is going to have a crispy, if the pretzel is done right, nice amount of salt on the outside. When you open it up, it's going to be nice and fluffy inside. It's going to be moist. 
and the flavor is definitely going to have a, uh, a salt is really the, the key to a good pretzel. Right. Gotcha. And take us back a little bit to the, I guess, the origins of Philly Pretzel Factory. Sure. Well, Philly Pretzel Factory started in 1998. The original store was up in the Mayfair section of Philadelphia, Okay. right across the street from the Mayfair Diner. A lot of people know the Mayfair Diner. Dan and Len were the two founders of the company. Dan's story, when he was uh, 11 years old, he was selling pretzels on a street corner of Roosevelt Boulevard. I may Um, have purchased from him. He probably did. He (laughs) sold thousands of them. He was very successful at a young age selling pretzels, and his entrepreneurial spirit kept him going. And you know, was selling pretzels at a very young age. He always tells the story. He doesn't know how his mom let him, you know, actually sell pretzels on Roosevelt Boulevard when he was 11 years old. But back then, it was a different time. And they actually, it was his neighbor who owned a pretzel bakery okay. And uh, at the time and said, hey, I got stuck with some pretzels. Would you go out and here's a thousand pretzels. We'll split yeah. the money. Go sell the pretzels on the street corner. Great. Help me unload this inventory. And that's what he did. That's great. So then and he, he was only 11? He was 11 years old. Wow, doing that's pretty that. cool. So then his job was to actually start recruiting more people because it did so well. So he went and got other 11, 12-year-olds to ride their bike up on the Roosevelt Boulevard and start selling pretzels. And they did that for all through high school. He might have missed a few days in high school even, he would say. Sure. And then went away to college and and met his roommate in college. The two of them went and got regular jobs after college. Dan went on to be a stockbroker, and Len, the other founder of the company, went on to be a site counselor. Hmm. And they realized pretty quickly that that wasn't for them. They had that entrepreneurial spirit. Dan said, hey, let's open a pretzel bakery. Now, remember, Dan sold pretzels on the street corner. He didn't really know how to make pretzels at that point or right. do all the other things. So he worked with the guy who you know, first got him in business selling pretzels on the street corner to understand some of the mechanics actually making pretzels, twisting them, making the dough. And that first store opened in, uh, like I said, 1998 and it was huge success from there. And they started thinking about, well, maybe we should open a second store and a third store. Yep. And they did that for a little while, for a couple of years. And then franchising started. People started coming in and saying, hey, would you be interested in franchising? And, and initially they were, no. And we're not interested in franchising. That's not a model for us. They didn't quite understand it. Dan would say they had no idea what franchising was at that time. Right. Which they didn't. Eventually somebody convinced them, a guy out in Westchester named Jim Powers. He's still with us today. He's one of our best franchisees. Said, hey, I'll open out here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Put a store out there. It's going to do great. And put a business plan together for Dan. And that was the first franchise that was open. And how much time went by between 98 and the Westchester franchise? 2005. Okay. So seven years under their belt, you know, Dan and Len are kind of working out the kinks in that first year or two and having a good time. And uh, to your point, it's a little bit of a risk. You know, you got a good little business going here and now someone wants to come in and suggest a new path. So it does take a little bit of confidence and it takes a little bit of, I guess, a business stomach to be able to say, let me try something new. Yeah. I think especially in franchising, when Dan and Len at this point definitely felt comfortable about the business and now it's their baby. They own it. They're making, you know, they're making good pretzels. They're starting to get some traction or opening more stores themselves. And now they take the risk to say, this guy now is going to do what I'm doing every day. And if he doesn't do it well, right. That could hurt the rest of my other store. So it's uh, it's definitely a risk. Yeah, that makes good sense. And, you know, it all does come back to that concern of integrity and experience that someone has when they walk into the shop. And is that going to be transferable? And how much trust do you have in another person? taking your baby, if you will. Especially in those early days, because again, they didn't have employees, they didn't have systems and procedures in place, maybe definitely not like we do now, whether it's marketing, operations, getting involved in the community, you know, how you go out and grow a business. So they were just 
sort of counting on him to do a lot. And then they were helping him with what they knew at that time yep. in the early days of how to make the business successful. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So fast forward now, we're just over 20 years in business as Philly Pretzel Factory. Sure. How big's the shop today? What kind of uh, numbers do we have around Philly Pretzel? So we're in 17 states now and growing. We have 171, 72 stores open, another 10 or 15 stores in the pipeline to get open this year. So, you know, nice conservative growth. We like to add, you know, we'll add 20 stores this year. We'll add another 20, 25 stores, hopefully, God willing, next year. And continue with this nice conservative approach to growth and make sure we're finding the right people, the right locations, and the right area. Yeah, to your point earlier, it has to be a thoughtful approach. You know, you don't want to just jump into something and the next thing you know, you're closing more franchises than you're opening because of hasty decisions or, uh, you know, a process that didn't check all the boxes as they should have. Sure. There's a risk to the brand, obviously, when you open stores and open with franchisees. You know, the bigger risk, quite honestly, is also the risk to the franchisee. The person right. who's investing their money, their yeah. life savings in some cases, and they're, right. you know, we have to take that very seriously to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to put them in a position to be successful and make sure they have the right skill sets, make sure they understand the real risk they're taking yeah. because ultimately they are. They're spending the money the, on the equipment, the leasehold improvements, the build out, the employees, the inventory, all those things in the very beginning before they've sold one pretzel. Yeah. So you need, to, right. you, you need to really make sure you have the right uh, aptitude and attitude or you can not be successful. Yeah, for sure. you could stumble. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. So if there is such a thing too, average store, how many employees, how many of them are full-time, how many part-time, average hours, you know, is there a breakfast pretzel, if you will? Mm -hmm. You know, is it a shop that's open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m.? That kind of flavor. Sure. Well, average store, again, there's no such thing maybe as an average store, but, you know, we, we have stores that have 20, 30, 40 employees. You know, right. the original store, the one up in Mayfair, I mean, we have 50 employees working for us there. Right. Still one of the most successful stores in the system after all these years. And then we have stores, smaller shops, you know, maybe eight, 10 employees, four or five of them are full-time employees and a couple part-timers that maybe some younger people come in after school or work weekends, that kind of thing, or somebody who's just looking for part-time work, mm -hmm. mom who stayed home mom who can work, you know, some hours when the kids get off to school and want to be home before they get home from school. So, that, you know, that's our sweet spot in terms of staff and employees. Yeah. So to that point, there may be an employee comes in 9.30 a.m. and stays till 2.30 p.m., gets the kids off to school Perfect. in the morning, is there when the kids are coming home. And I use this as an example because I want to segue into what I guess I would call a growing market, which is, you know, the corporate market or the holiday market. And you need folks to be engaged in making the pretzels in the middle of the day so a corporation can come and pick up a tray sure. of 100 pretzels that are being used for an afternoon holiday party. Yeah. So no doubt those are some real key employees for us. I mean, the, the key, key people for us are really the people to get there first thing in the morning and they're right. a little harder to find. Yeah. And some stores, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. You know, those are early hours. That, that makes the, sense. They're doing the early mixing, the twisting, getting the product ready. We bake all the product fresh throughout the day, yep. but the pretzels can be twisted that same morning. They're always twisted fresh the same day, gotcha. never from the day before. So we have to get in early. Yep. Uh, the old Dunkin' Donuts, time to make the donuts. Yeah, right. For us, it literally is time to make the pretzels early right. in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to go back a little bit here, and I'm intrigued by what I guess I would call the evolution of a more structured and formalized approach when it comes to soft pretzels. Because mm -hmm. as a kid growing up in West Philadelphia and Overbrook, and I know you're a Southwest Philly kid, which I want to touch on a little bit later sure. as well, but in my neighborhood, playing at Papa Playground at 65th Lansdowne, it was uh, Sal. 
He was on the corner across from the dairy bar. Mm-hmm. And they must have had some sort of relationship because the dairy bar only served soft serve and water ice. They didn't serve soft pretzels because Sal had a card table set up on the corner <laughs> and would sell soft pretzels and slather Mustard. on some mustard. And, you know, as a kid, you'd go over and, and buy a soft pretzel after the baseball game and you'd say hi to Sal. He's a real character. And it's really evolved into this much more structured, formalized approach to, you know, kind of a food that many of us think of as a comfort food as a kid growing up, a pretzel and some water ice. Sure. And now, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, I actually think it's a good thing from a variety of perspectives, including providing jobs and health conditions and, you know, knowing where your pretzel has come from type of thing, as opposed to standing in the middle of uh, the highway. But my point is, it's really evolved into something that is a true business model that can deliver success for the owner and the franchisee. Yeah, well, it's a legitimate business model, no question. And I agree with you. When I was young, you know, we got pretzels maybe at recess. You got pretzels, you know, at the corner deli, one of those things. And very similar to like water ice, you know, the same thing. 25, 30 years ago, it was sold at maybe the pizza shop or a corner deli or maybe the guy coming around on the softy truck or something like that or say, all had his, yeah. you know, had a stand up or something yeah. like that. But it was Maroney's water ice Maroney's, truck. Lots yeah. of one offs. And yeah, then yeah. Rita's came along and really did the same thing. They took, you know, a brand that's, you know, an iconic food also in Philadelphia. Water ice pretzels are, you know, both that sort of iconic food. And they took it and, and turned it into a brand. Right. They put a name behind it. Before that, you really didn't know where you were getting your pretzels that's a good point. or water ice. And that's kind of what Philly Pretzel Factory's done. You didn't know where pretzels came from years ago because nobody did. They were all in these sort of industrial parks, big yep. bakeries. Guys would go in at one o'clock in the morning, bake all the pretzels for the day, get them on trucks and deliver them. And they were out of there and done by six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. There was no retail model really, right. except a guy on the street corner who might have, you know, set up or something like that. So Philly Pretzel Factory really made it where, you know, you can trust where you're getting when you walk into one of the stores. Yeah. And made it a model that people, I think, they responded to very well. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point, Marty, and I'm glad you mentioned Rita's because I want to come back to that as well. Mm-hmm. And this whole notion of branding the pretzel. Sure. And I do remember, now that you mentioned this, I went to Our Lady of Lords at 63rd of Lancaster, and I remember the pretzels coming warm. Yeah. Being delivered to the school in these black bags, and a couple of us got the privilege of going down Breaking and, them up. And, and getting them and delivering to the classrooms. And it was a dime to yeah. buy your pretzel at recess, to your point. Sure. And, and it was a great memory, and it really got us engaged in, in enjoying pretzels. Mm-hmm. And it's now evolved into a much more structured, and to your point, which I love, a branded kind of experience for the average person who's enjoying a soft pretzel these days. But you mentioned Rita's, and you actually have a great connection to Rita's. And I want to get there by diving into the story of Marty Farrell. Sure. If you could, share with us a little bit about how this kid from Southwest Philadelphia got to be where he is today, leading Philly pretzel factory so i didn't expect to be in the food business my whole life i kind of lucked into it a little bit i guess i was 15 year old kid lived in southwest philadelphia used to have to take the 36 trolley into the reading terminal market and for a 15 year old kid from southwest philadelphia who now is going into the reading terminal market i worked for uh, bassett's ice cream at the time another sort of iconic philadelphia food brand yeah and you know just the experience of the reading terminal was amazing all the different foods you see in there the different ethnicities of people it's just this melting pot, literal melting pot inside there and great food. Yeah. Um, so it got me exposed to that experience and great people also who work there, salt of the earth. I mean, the owners of the stands and the shops in there who work from 
four o'clock in the morning, getting the, you know, whatever they're preparing for that day ready yep. and selling it throughout the day, making money for that day and having the cash and going back in and doing it all again the next day. That kind of inspired me a little bit. I'm like, this is, you know, it's a very entrepreneurial experience in the Reading Terminal Market with multicultural, like I said, and just an amazing place. So I started working for Bassett Ice Cream, Reading Terminal Market. Did that for years, and uh, Roger Bassett, who is fifth generation Bassett's family, famous Philadelphia family, mm -hmm. and uh, he had at the time Bassett's Turkey, Bassett's original Turkey in the Reading Terminal Market, also. Gotcha, an expansion of the ice cream stand. E exactly. He uh, he owned the ice cream stand. And said, "Oh, I'm gonna I buy another stand, but I'm making these really good turkey sandwiches. They're still there. It's a great turkey sandwich, you know, hand carved turkey, fresh bread every day, high quality ingredients." So I was working for an ice cream stand, and then Roger said, hey, I need somebody to help me with the turkey place. Yep. And I did that, yep. and we started doing well in there, and he said, I'm gonna open another store. I said, okay, let's, where is it gonna be? I'm yeah. there, I'm helping you. So, and you know, the very young age, I'm 17, 18, 19 years old, we start opening stores, willing to travel, willing to do anything. Yep. We grew that to probably, Bassett's Turkey had like 40 stores open, 45 stores at one point. Wow. It was kind of the Boston chicken, Boston market yep. with turkey. Yeah. And it was around that same time that they were coming out. So it was a nice hot concept. People were very interested in it. And again, it's still open and their stores are still out there today. Sure. But that was my Bassett's Turkey experience. And I did that for about 10, 11 years in the Reading Terminal Market or traveling around in other states that we opened stores. Yeah. And left there to join uh, Rita's Water Ice. Yeah. And I had a unique job there. I was a support person helping franchisees, you know, with business plans, marketing plans, grow their business. So my job was a business consultant, basically, mm -hmm. for the franchisee. But part of my other job was I was the director of research and development for the company. So I wore two hats. Right. So my job was also to create all new flavors. Cool. I didn't have a food science background or, right. or any of those things. I just sort of learned it, was willing to dig in and find out, well, how do you develop these flavors? And what is sensory? What are people looking for in a flavor? And what are the hot new flavors and trends? And just really immerse myself in to figure those things out. So we were able to develop new flavors and new products over the years that I was with Rita's. And Very I was cool. with them for about seven or eight years as well. Early morning, midday, late night, any time is perfect for a Philadelphia soft pretzel. And the team at Philly Pretzel Factory at stores across the region, like this one in Center City, Philadelphia, they're up early making fresh pretzels for corporate events, family gatherings, and that satisfying any time of the day treat. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Marty Farrell of Philly Pretzel Factory. And first, I want to thank another iconic brand in our community, WSFS Bank. The WFS Bank mission, we stand for service. And they are the seventh oldest continuously operating bank in the United States. A true fixture in our greater Philadelphia community. WSFS. You know, their friends call them WSFIS. They are a service-oriented, locally managed community banking institution. WSFIS has been servicing businesses of all sizes, as well as growing families, with a wide range of banking services and continues to implement innovative tactics to streamline personal and business banking. Learn more at WSFSBank.com. And join me in thanking WSFIS for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Now let's get back to our conversation with Marty. 
coming back to your time, Marty, at Rita's, you didn't need to have a food science degree. You had uh, kind of a life degree, right? Mm -hmm. The knowledge of the streets and, and knowledge of people and understanding what kind of motivates them to try something new. And whether it's ice cream or turkey or water ice, you were able to kind of adjust and adapt to what the demand is. Yeah, I think it helped You know, being open-minded, right? What are people interested in and being open-minded yourself to try new things, listen to what's going on, listen and try new things, that's where you'll usually find some success, whether it's developing a new flavor, a new product, working with people, managing people. Yep. You know, if you're listening and, and open-minded, usually those two things are gonna help you sort of be more successful as yeah, well. Yeah, I can imagine. So one of the things we talk about on Growing Greater frequently is career path options and helping people, whether they're 17 and they're embarking on the next journey after high school, or whether they're 37 and they're at a kind of an intersection in their career and they're thinking about making a move. I'd love for you to take us back to when you were 17, mm. and for two years or so now, you've been taking the 36 trolley to Reading Terminal Market, and you got the team at Bassett who are making some really unique opportunities available to you to grow in the business. What kind of conversations did you have with your family, with your friends, with yourself to be able to say, you know what, I think I'm going to head down this path and embrace this opportunity in the food industry as opposed to the military service or vocational school or traditional college career path. Mm -hmm. What kind of um, process did you go through and what kind of advice were you getting from mm -hmm. folks back then? Well, I think I realized that pretty early that if I worked hard, that usually was going to help me be successful. So I, I was willing to work hard mm -hmm. at 15, 16, 17 into this day to make sure that uh, it would help me be successful. But in terms of career choices, I just saw something. I said, well, I see there's a future here. I'm going to keep going. And the more I worked hard, the more I was rewarded. So I realized, well, whether I was rewarded with more responsibility, more money, uh, just, you know, praise, you know, because uh, everybody wants that too, right? Doing a good sure. job. So I was getting all those sort of rewards from yep. doing- and, re and reinforcement, right? Reinforcement, yeah. and that was encouraging. And so I knew I should continue. And then, you know, in retail and food and service, mm -hmm. I felt like I had a little bit of a knack for that also. I, I felt like I was pretty good at customer service, dealing with customers, making customers smile, making customers feel good about when they came to at a very young age i remember customers saying to me don't stop smiling or things like that and i was like okay that's right. that's a good thing right yeah right absolutely yeah. you had an impact on them whether yeah. you knew it or not exactly yeah. so and i realized why well, can you know continue to do that and just by giving really good service really focusing on working hard good emotional intelligence at a young age to try to understand what people want and understand where to go those things are probably what I would say, if I'm giving advice, try to do those things and they should help you whether if you're going to take the traditional career path that you mentioned or something like I did, a little bit more uh, non-traditional. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great. And it makes perfect sense because when you get a positive response, you get reinforcement for any action that you're taking, it causes you to want to continue to do it. And it is just that, a reinforcement. So, you know, your success, your experiences at Bassett's and Rita's and Philly Pretzel Factory, it's really inspiring when you step back and take a look at it. I'm not just you know saying <laughs> that because you're standing in front of me, but when you think back, is there something that you're most proud of that really stands out for you, whether it was how to handle a 
challenging situation or maybe it's the launch of a new product or a new shop or whatever it may be is there something that causes you to say you know what that was a real milestone for me well i think the main thing again in this business especially in franchising right our job is to help other people help them learn the business help them become better at service better at managing better at making money understanding how to market the business so when i do that with whether it's an employee who is working with us in one of our corporate stores and you know they're being elevated to manager and continue to grow that's very rewarding uh, or working with a franchisee who you know invested like i said earlier um, with us and now they start seeing the rewards from that and they made that decision they made a big decision to invest in a business right and again big risk big decision and hopefully the reward is there so when franchisees start seeing the reward that's probably the best part of the job where they now have a lifestyle that's changed maybe they left a job that they didn't like mm-hmm. they were frustrated with it they mm-hmm. were fed up and now they control their own destiny they control their schedule they can control you know they're in charge yeah. Yeah. And again, if they're doing all the things right, they're now making more money potentially than they were before as well. So all those positive things are, are really the rewarding part of the job. If I understand it correctly, what I just heard, Marty, was helping other people, sure. you know, watching them and providing them with some of the tools, the guidance to be successful. Because yeah. uh, to your point, they are taking a big risk. And when they're successful, that's got to be really satisfying for you and the team. Yeah, what helps us be more successful, obviously, as a company, right? right? You know, the more successful franchisees are, the more successful our staff or employees are, the better the company is going to do as well. Yeah. So that'll allow us to continue to add new franchisees, allow us to grow, allow us to invest more money in hiring more employees, allow us to invest in new infrastructure, new programs, new plans, whatever it might be that we want to do. Yeah. So we have to continue to grow. Franchisees have to continue to grow. So without franchisees, we don't get paid. So, and it's very important that we all understand that. Sure, it's a business after all. It's a business, (laughs) One that we all enjoy because the pretzels are so good. And I've been to the shop on Santom Street here in Center City, Philadelphia. I've also Mm -hmm. been to the shop in Exton, Chester County, Mm -hmm. right across, I think strategically located across from Lionville Elementary, Lionville Middle School, (laughs) and Downingtown East, which has to be part of your strategy when you're thinking about where and why we're going to establish a franchise operation in a particular region. If you could talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, so the two examples you just used, Sampson Street obviously yeah. is different than Exton and the suburbs, right? Mm-hmm. Sampson Street is more dependent on you know walk-in traffic, people coming by the store, all the businesses that are around here. We do a lot of what we call wholesale account development business mm-hmm. for office parties and things like that, buying party trays. Maybe somebody sets up an account, whether it's a hospital or another business that wants to buy our pretzels, we sell them to them. Yeah. So that's one model in addition to all the retail, you know, because just the sheer foot traffic in here. Out there, you're right. In the suburbs, we look at the model a little bit different. We definitely are looking for areas where there's going to be more schools and and businesses that we can sell wholesale. Yeah. And then it's more what we call social catering in those markets. So Mm. we'll sell a lot more party trays to families. So the 4th of July just happened and people wanted to get together and have a barbecue. We were open and they come grab a party tray of uh, pretzels and it's right next to the hot dogs and hamburgers and it's part of the tradition. So now traditionally, I mean, that's where we really fit in well, whether it's graduation season, it's Mm -hmm. the holidays. People use us so much for these events, particularly again in the suburban markets a little bit more. 
more. Right. You know, mom or dad goes and picks it up and yeah. little Johnny's birthday, whatever it might yeah. be, and let's get pretzels and have a party with them. It's a gathering and it lends itself to a special kind of experience at that gathering that complements, you know, some other traditional foods, whether it's cupcakes or the chicken nuggets sure. or, or whatever it happens so, to be. And everybody's yeah, looking, hey, everybody's now looking yeah. for the pretzels. Who's, who's got the pretzel tray? Right. Yeah. Especially the nugget size yes. pretzels are really uh, popular. Yeah, usually somebody will volunteer and say, I'll bring the pretzels. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So I want to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty, if we could, Marty. And folks, we're speaking with Marty Farrell. He's president of Philly Pretzel Factory. Two things stand out for me. One is, and this is the nitty gritty part, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what are the most popular products within the Philly Pretzel Factory lineup. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to start with this because it's an observation I have, and I'm not an expert in this area, but it's a very efficient footprint that your team seems to have at every store. You know, you don't walk in and there's not this palace of pretzels. It's a very efficient operation. And how much thought goes into that layout, if you will? Sure, a lot, a lot to keep it simple. And the other key thing we need to do is we need to make pretzels fresh all day, Yeah. right? So if you walk into one of our stores, those pretzels were just made within the last, hopefully last five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 yep. minutes at the most, that's where you start to say, okay, the, the pretzels have been out there too long. Yep. So we're keeping it streamlined so we can manage not making the old days, they would make thousands of pretzels in the morning and that was the day, we're making them throughout the day. And that's really what's changed the pretzel market, I think. You know, our pretzels are hot out of the oven. That's a term we use a lot. Yep. And even, again, if you bought a pretzel 20 years ago at a deli, at a street corner, Unless you got it first thing in the morning, it most likely wasn't a hot pretzel. Right. So the, the idea that people, even in Philadelphia now, can walk in at any time and get a hot pretzel, it changed the whole pretzel market also. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, the most popular thing that we still sell is still the pretzel. So okay. The, the, soft pretzels, the, the traditional pretzel. Traditional pretzels are number one. And then the other products that really do well is the pretzel dog is also a really popular item. It's all beef, deets and Watson hot dog wrapped with our pretzel dough, mm -hmm. baked in the oven, baked those fresh every single day. And those are really popular as well. Nice. It's got to be a popular item, especially on National Hot Dog Day. It, it is. And we do a big job about promoting the pretzel dogs and doing things. I mean, this year in particular, if you come into any one of our stores on National Hot Dog Day, dollar pretzel dogs all day, no limit. You can nice. buy five, buy 10, and we'll see a lot of people coming in and buying multiple pretzels. Nice. Uh, if you're also one of the first customers after 11 o'clock, you get a free hot dog. So, so people who are traditionalists, they just think we sell pretzels and they don't even think about it. We do have a that's lot right. of other items on the menu yeah, as well. That's a good point. They yeah. just come in for their pretzel. That's yeah. what they're used to. I, I'll yeah. talk to people who've been a customer for 10 years and say, I didn't know you sold pretzel dogs. It's yeah. just they're so focused on, I want my soft pretzel and that's it. Right. And it's funny because I've seen folks basically prepare their pretzel in a lot of different ways over the years. And one of my favorites is they treat it almost like a bagel. They slice it in <laughs> half, they put cream cheese on it, and they eat it as though it's a bagel. Sure. Which is really creative. And I never saw that before until you know many years ago when one of my colleagues did it. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting approach. The Philly cream cheese on a soft pretzel is underrated. It's yeah. very, very good. It sounds it. Yeah. And it can't get any more Philadelphia than exactly. that, right? And speaking of that, I do want to dive into this a little bit more because you mentioned about 170 stores across the U.S. Mm -hmm. Soft pretzels are so quintessential Philadelphia, at least in my mind. And I think in the average person's mind, there's an association with Philadelphia and the soft pretzel. Mm -hmm. How do you position that when you go into another market, whether it's, you know, you're in 17 states and a state that isn't necessarily aligned with soft pretzels, is there a disconnect or is there, you know, kind of a, a welcoming here because we really covet Philadelphia soft pretzels, and we're so glad to have it in our little town right. in this particular state because it's changing the dynamic now, and we can get these really great, fresh 
Philadelphia soft pretzels in our own neighborhood? Well, there's definitely a little more challenge, right? Because, you know, we can share stories about growing up and eating pretzels at recess and, you know, and getting them with a water ice. And it's just that memory stuff that just connects to you, right? That's part of our DNA. Yeah. Where, you know, when you go into a new market, they just don't relate to that. But what they do relate to is something delicious. So if you give them a good soft pretzel, they relate to it. Soft pretzels in general are definitely nationwide. We consume in Philadelphia more per capita than anywhere else. And our Philly style pretzel is definitely unique and different than what they may know, but they've seen the mall pretzel. They've seen the mall at a football game or baseball game. So they're aware of pretzels. Yeah. When they try one of ours, the experience is, while this is different than those pretzels. Yeah. And, you know, it tastes better. Again, I'm biased. It's fresh. Yeah. It was made right there. The dough was made that morning. Yeah. It was baked within the last 15 minutes. That experience is, I think everybody can relate to something like that. So buying them, you know, again, in Philadelphia, we may buy pretzels at seven o'clock in the morning. We may buy them whenever. Yeah. That part of it there, it's definitely looked at a little bit more of as a snack. Yeah. And there's more education around where you should buy them and how you should buy them. Yeah. You know, we have 50 pretzels on the menu in all of our stores. Yeah. And you go into a new market and they might look at the menu and say, why would they have 50 pretzels yeah. on the menu? Who's buying 50 pretzels? <laughs> right. right? right. Yeah. But we know you buy 50 pretzels and you bring them to yeah. a little league ball game. You bring them home. Yeah. You bring them wherever. To the office. To the office. There's yeah. all kinds of ways you would use that where they haven't made that connection. And that's where the marketing comes in. And that's where you know our job is to educate the consumer, the new consumer, about how to use the product. Yeah, that makes good sense. And, and I suspect this has happened over time, but it just struck me as you were sharing some insights here that it would be really interesting to have like a pretzel tasting contest and you line up five different pretzels and you know to your point they're all good yeah but only philly pretzel factory's pretzel is delicious <laughs> we've done a couple of those taste tests they, in, I bet. in the city of philadelphia they've actually had a couple organized challenges where they've gotten a couple other bakers to get together and yeah we've won our fair share of yeah. those also of a blind taste test yeah, right? yeah yeah that's pretty cool so i have to ask are dan and len are they still engaged on a regular basis sure very involved Nice. That's Very great. involved in the company, very involved in the direction of the company, still very passionate about the growth of the company, passionate yeah. about you know the team. Yeah, they're, no question they're still involved. And their story is really inspiring as well, because to your point, they each went off to college, went down a traditional you know career-oriented path, and then had a moment of, why don't we do this? Yeah. And they did it. Big and, risk. Yeah, big risk. But they, they are walking in the same shoes or have walked in the same shoes that their franchisee is also walking in. Well, they maybe took a little more risk because, again, they didn't have the structure that we at least have now. Right. There's this machine that we use in our stores. It's called a stringer. Basically, it's a dough extruder. We make the dough fresh in the stores. We put it through this extruder, and it pulls out what we call a string. A string is what we hand twist in the stores. Okay. It's a very unique piece of equipment, and they're not easy to find. Now, we have a manufacturer that makes them for us now at this point. The first one they needed to get was in Florida. Okay. So they had to drive in a truck, the two of them, go down to Florida, did not negotiate the price at this point on what they were going to pay for the stringer until they got there. Right. Started negotiating with the guy. They were about to leave without it because the guy was, you know, driving a hard bargain right. with them. And they finally, at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, they got to drive this truck back home to right. Philadelphia. They finally struck a deal to get this critical piece of equipment and uh, drove it back and then had to find all the rest of the equipment they needed to, yep. you know, again, develop the recipes and the formulas and all those things as well. I'm glad it fit in the truck. Barely, they say. <laughs> 
<laughs> the truck broke down on the way home, too. Oh, that's great. Well, it makes the story all the It's more one exciting. of those crazy stories. Yeah, a I lot of that. early franchise companies have those origin stories where, you know, this very entrepreneurial person who had to deal with a lot of things to overcome. Yeah. And that's why they became successful, though, because they didn't let those things stop them. Dan and Len could have easily said, okay, we didn't get the piece of equipment. Let's go back to our regular jobs. But they, yeah. they just fought out a little bit longer and made the right decision, obviously. Gotcha. So thinking about products, is there um, a dream product that you and the team are working on? I mean, it's kind of obvious to wrap a hot dog, a great Dietz and Watson hot dog into a Philly pretzel factory pretzel. Yep. But are there other kinds of potential products that are in the lab <laughs> that are yes. being researched yeah. that you're able to share that, you know, that would be a big release for the team to come out with this particular product? Yeah, well, I don't know if, how much I'm going to share, to be honest with you. Yeah. R&D is something, again, my background was in that. So you always want to be careful what you're working on and saying. Because the sure. key with working on products is sometimes you're going to work on 10 or 12 things mm -hmm. and they're going to fail and they're not going to work. And then you got to keep going and going. But you know, to answer your question, we do have one product. We actually rolled out a cheesesteak pretzel mm -hmm. about six or seven years ago. And it's about a five ounce, six ounce pretzel. It's Philly cheesesteak in the middle of our pretzel dough. Mm -hmm. It's a good product. We actually are relaunching that product in late August, early September. Okay. And it's our cheesesteak bites. So nice. like the pretzel um, yeah, yeah. nuggets that you yeah. were talking about, we call them rivets. It's going to be shaped like that. It's a small bite size cheesesteak in the middle of pretzel dough and they're delicious. They're really good. It sounds dangerously good. Yeah, really. Yeah. You start popping them in your I mouth. Bet. Yeah. Next thing you know, you've eaten two cheesesteaks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but they're delicious. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to uh, to acquiring a couple of the cheesesteak rivets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I won't hold you to this, Marty, but where do you see Philly Pretzel Factory in the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years? Hopefully continuing to be here. That's our first goal and continuing to grow. Nice conservative growth, like I mentioned earlier, adding 15, 20, 25 stories a year, continuing to add stores up and down the East Coast and finding areas where it makes sense for us and finding the right franchisees, quite honestly, yep. where it makes sense for us to put other stores. We just opened a store in Arizona, Goodyear, Arizona, about uh, 10 days ago, mm -hmm. doing real well, good franchisees out there for us. So those markets you kind of find and see, well, maybe Arizona is a market that we could develop and add 10, 15, 20 stores. Yeah. Do you find that some of the franchisees are native Philadelphians or greater Philadelphians who have had an experience with a soft pretzel, if not a Philly pretzel factory soft pretzel? They just have pretzels as part of their DNA, like they went to elementary school here? All of them. Yeah. All right. of them. Yeah. 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 All of the franchisees have some connection. Yeah. Like, whether they grew up here or maybe in some cases they went to school here, they went to college here and right. they fell in love with the product then. They might yep. not have had to recess the pretzels when they yep. were in grade school like we did, but they got that experience and they saw the reaction in the market and the people saying, wow, look how much people love these pretzels. This should be something that we can bring into a new market. So most of the time it is somebody who's an expat, somebody who has some connection to the Philly market. And and there's a pride in, hey, I'm going to bring this pretzel to you. That's right. And you're going to try this pretzel and you're going to be blown away by it. So which we obviously appreciate them doing it. Be sure to head to your nearest Philly Pretzel Factory location on Wednesday, July 17th, and pick up your pretzel dog in honor of National Hot Dog Day. And while you're on your way there, be sure to tune in to another exciting episode of Growing Greater. Anywhere you get your podcast or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Matt. Our Growing Greater podcast showcases inspiring stories of innovators, business successes, and transformational projects, and it's all made possible 
thanks to the support we receive from the team at Colliers International. They're actually helping us attract new companies and new jobs to our region. Colliers International is a top-tier global real estate services and investment management company operating in 69 countries with a workforce of more than 13,000 professionals. Thinking differently, sharing great ideas, and offering thoughtful and innovative advice that helps to advance the success of their clients, well, that's the Colliers way. In Greater Philadelphia, the Colliers team serves clients across the region through six offices and nearly 60 professionals who deliver a full range of services to commercial real estate occupiers, owners, and investors throughout northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Learn more at www.colliers.com. That's www.colliers.com. And join me in thanking Colliers International for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.